Often respected podcast hosts Scott Corelli and Nick Jimenez met online in 2006 and began podcasting together shortly thereafter, discovered Star Wars Minute in 2014 and launched a Movies by Minute podcast of their own a year later, focused on the Back to the Future trilogy, completing it less than three years later with 340 episodes about the films themselves and five about the Universal Studios theme park attraction from the early 1990s. Received over 100 five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, in early 2018 completed 95 episodes Episodes of the Cornetto Minute, dedicated to the Edgar Wright-directed comedy trilogy starting with 2004's Shaun of the Dead, one minute at a time. The show is nowhere near as popular with only four reviews on Apple Podcasts and has been on hiatus ever since. Hey, Scott, how's the hiatus? Well, I haven't been on hiatus. Not exactly. That's right. You've been working on that little side project, Spider or something. Spider-Man Minute. I don't know if I'd call it a side project exactly. I would. You know, I'm surprised you didn't take a break after last season of Cornetto Minute. That's what I did. I prefer to take my breaks behind the mic. Indeed you do. And that's why it's high time such skills were put to better use on Cornetto Minute Season 2. I'm sorry? Hot fuzz. You want us to cover every minute of Hot Fuzz? Yes, lovely. Isn't there a weekly podcast we could do? Oh, no. Can I just stay on hiatus then? No. Do I have any choice in this? No. But I kind of like being on hiatus. You always said you wanted to cover Hot Fuzz one minute at a time. I don't remember telling you that. Yes, you did. You said, I'd love to cover Hot Fuzz one minute at a time someday, Zach. <sighs> Fine, but there's no way we can perpetuate the amount of carnage and mayhem in every minute of Hot Fuzz and not incur a considerable amount of podcasting. 115 daily episodes? Not a problem. The Cornetto Minute returns to investigate the gunfights, car chases, and proper action of Sanford's finest one minute at a time. It's about to go off with Edgar Wright's Hot Fuzz this November at DuelingGenre.com for the greater good. For the greater good. Welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're talking about Luna, Zan, and several other characters from The Girl Who Drank the Moon. And joining the discussion is returning guest, Sarah Santana. Welcome back, Sarah. And thank you for having me back. So for any listeners who are not familiar, The Girl Who Drank the Moon is a 2016 fantasy novel by Kelly Barnhill, and it tells the story of Luna, a young girl who is abandoned in the forest and raised by a witch, and how several interconnected plots changed the world after that. So that's the very, very brief version of what this sure. book is about. <laughs> um, had you heard of this book before I asked you if you would come on to be a guest to talk about it, Sarah? It's it's funny, so because like I, I may have said before, I, I focus on young adult literature. This is more like middle grade, and I hadn't heard of it, but I was like, I, I love you know middle grade, and I've seen it won it won the Newberry. I think it yes, it did won. win the Newberry. It, 
Right. And so it's like, okay, I'm in. I'll, I'll read it. And as soon as I think you asked me to be on this episode, it just started popping up like everywhere. Um, all these people were talking about it. It was like on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. It was like, read this book. And I'm like, I've never heard of it before this. And suddenly it was everywhere. I had a pretty similar experience because it was some listeners who recommended this book um, for for a topic for the episode. It was uh, listeners Tommy and Cammie. Uh, had recommended it um, a while ago. I guess by the time this post, it'll have been about a year ago, actually, on the podcast uh, fan book pa- or Facebook, right. fan, Facebook fan page. I had put out a call for like stories that you guys want to hear us cover. I can't say how quickly we'll get to any of them. And they immediately had suggested this. And after they suggested it, I think I saw it, like you said, like just friends mentioning it on social media and seeing it advertised or... Um, right. I think I think Audible had a sale on it, and I saw it had like thousands of reviews, and they were all positive. I was like, right? Oh, maybe this is one we definitely need to cover um, on on the podcast. Right. <laughs> um, just one of those things. Like once you once you're aware of something, you see it everywhere, but your mind kind of passes over. It's, it. it was everywhere. Yeah. yeah, I think like we went to a bookstore, and it was like on an end cap, and I'm like, oh hey, I need to read that book. Like it just was everywhere. Well, a little bit of trivia about it. As we noted, it won the 2017 Newbery Award. I think it's actually called the Newbery Medal. I wrote down award, but I think they want it to always be called the Newbery Medal. <laughs> uh, one of those pedantic things uh, about awards. <laughs> um, the author is Kelly Barnhill, and she studied creative writing in college. But uh, in what I saw as I was poking around for some trivia, it says she began writing short stories again after the birth of her second child. And then several of those short stories have been expanded into the novels that she's been able to publish. Um, and this is her most, uh, like, most well-regarded or, or, like, the one that kind of broke through more. I mean, anytime you can get anything published, well done. You've succeeded. No, I'm not trying to take anything away. Right. But uh, with the Newbery Medal, this one uh, gained greater acclaim uh, than anything that she'd done before. And it, it's definitely the one she's most well-known for. Um, and after the novel was published... Fox Animation secured the rights to a film adaptation of the novel, which, as you may know, means I don't know what's happening <laughs> with this film adaptation anymore. <laughs> um, because yeah, I was like, I don't know what that means anymore. Does that mean Disney has it? Yes. I mean, um, so so when Disney bought Fox, they didn't buy all the divisions of Fox, but they did buy Fox Animation. Right. And I have tried to find any okay. official statements about what is going to happen to this film, and I haven't seen anything. Right. Um. So besides. The rights were with Fox Animation. They had hired um, Mark Hames, who wrote Kubo and the Two Strings, which is um, something we talked about on this podcast before. Uh, That was the Leica Studios stop motion animation uh, film. It's a beautiful story. Very well done. And they hired him to do the script. I'm like, oh, that's a lot of talent I like so far. Uh, But now I don't know what's going to happen. This book would make a beautiful movie, too. So Yeah, there's several... um, passages where like the descriptions were very cinematic in the visuals that were being evoked to me right um so like it's called the girl who drank the moon and when we get to the longer summary listeners you'll find out that the witch like literally feeds like reaches up and feeds uh the baby starlight and then accidentally kind of absentmindedly also feeds her moonlight like gathers moonlight and starlight in her fingers and feeds it to her and like trying to imagine that with um computer animation i'm like oh that could that could be done in a very right evocative way <laughs> right that would look like gorgeous you could just picture it and then there's also um several fun characters that i think 
uh, the right animation studio doing the full character designs for this bog monster and for this tiny dragon right. and this giant dragon. Like, there's a lot of fun yeah. that we had just with some of the visual elements uh, that that um, Kelly Barnhill was able to to create in the story. And uh, just I, we're definitely tipping our hand. This is a really good book, guys. <laughs> On that, so it's a uh, really really good book. <laughs> even if that film adaptation doesn't happen. It, I'd recommend this book for anyone, but particularly if you have children who are in that middle grade, like fans of Harry Potter or Percy Jackson, you know, kind of age range or, or Fable Haven, you know, any of those slide them girl who drank the moon. This is going to be right absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, before I get to that long summary, uh, we want to thank each and every one of you for listening to this episode and especially thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you'd like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers and give monthly updates on our fantasy box office. And all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. Um, a note about this uh, summary, uh, particularly in the latter third, I just speed up a lot of the action and bring things together. Uh, the story spends time with each one of the characters and how the, like, the pieces move across the chessboard. I'm just going to say we move across the chessboard uh, to the finale. Uh, and, and so just once more, just full recommendation for either the, the book or um, the audiobook. I actually started reading it uh, a while ago. We had scheduled this. Uh, this this recording, uh, but through a series of events, uh, Sarah, we weren't able to get it done then. And I was reading a copy from the library then, uh, and then I did see it on sale on Audible, so I bought the Audible book. Uh, so I finished it you know, in the audio, or I listened to the whole audio version just before you know this the week of this recording. Um, and and the audio ver- audiobook version was had a great narrator. I can't remember her name, but it was it was a really well done audio narration. But then I'd also you know started reading the physical uh, book copy and. Uh, her writing style is has a, has a charm to it that was just delightful to read. It it hooks you in right away. I read it all yesterday because I thought I had started. Like you said, we were gonna do it a while ago, and I started, and I think I put it aside. Um, so I wouldn't forget it when we did record this and then never went back. So then I read the entire book yesterday, but it was easy to do because it was just it just gets you right as right as it starts. Yeah, this is one of those um like sometimes I think middle grade books, there are some that are a little more simplistic. Um, not that they're writing down, but just like, you know, it's not an adult audience that's in mind. Uh, this is like right. the, best, the best kind of all ages story to me where it's like, it really is just all ages right. because everyone can enjoy it. Yeah. Um, all right. So the setting of this is your classic pre-industrial fantasy world where, you know, it's, it's magic and not technology is what's going on. And each <laughs> year in the city that is called the protectorate, they sacrifice a child to the witch that lives in the forest. Nobody knows what will happen if they don't sacrifice the youngest baby that has been born close to the day of sacrifice. But the elders of the city make sure that on this specific date, the youngest baby is left in the forest for the witch. This year, a young elder in training named Antain is traumatized by this process when he sees a mother fight to protect her baby from being taken. Eventually, the Sisters of the Star are called in, and this is a group of women who seem very capable at everything they do. And they quickly secure the child and take the mother away. And then the elders, who are all men, take the baby to the forest and abandon her in a grove. Every year, now we jump points of view. Every year, a witch named Zan comes to the edge of the Protectorate. She has no idea why, but they keep leaving a baby there, and she rescues it. And then she feeds the baby 
Starlight as she takes it to happier cities that are on the other side of the forest. So the predictor is just very dour and gloomy and sad. And Sam doesn't even like being near it, but she knows she has to go rescue this baby every year because for whatever reason, they have this tradition. I love this is the moment where I was like, oh, I like this. <laughs> where she just jumps the point. Right. Where it's like, we have to leave the baby for the witch. And then why do they keep doing it? And this? the witch is like, why do they keep leaving me a baby? Yeah. <laughs> that, that was the, the moment where I was like, I'm all in on this story. I got to see where this goes. Right. Um, and as she's walking through the forest, she feeds um, the children starlight. And uh, these children come to be called star children when she leaves them with loving families in these other cities. And Zan bonds with this child this year, particularly uh, more strongly than she has with any other child. And as she's like slowed her transit across the forest and is, is singing to the baby more and feeding it more starlight, she absentmindedly feeds the child moonlight, which in magics, the baby is the term that gets used. Just feeds the baby far too much magic. Zan decides that she's going to have to raise this child because a normal family wouldn't know what to do with an enmagicked child. And she names the child Luna, and she takes her home uh, to her home, where she has a tiny dragon named Furion and a swamp monster named Glurk that live with her. And Glurk is a very poetic swamp monster, and Furion is a tiny dragon that is convinced it and Zan and Glurk are giants that terrorize the world around them. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all right we're gonna jump ahead five years and now antane keeps finding excuses not to go with the elders on the day that they go take the baby uh so he's trying to dodge out of this and we also find out that luna's magic is definitely strong and getting more and more uncontrollable as a five-year-old she just doesn't understand and things just keep happening around her um the most surprising of which is when Glurk, who says, her magic can't hurt me, I am older than magic, gets turned into a rabbit by Luna. And that's when they're like, oh, this this child's magic is off the scale uh, of anything that we've seen before. So Zan... And she's like completely unaware of it. Yeah, she doesn't even know that she turned Glurk into a rabbit. So Zan goes to visit the ruins of a castle that is clearly part of her past. And we find out that Zan is very old. And um, this cl- uh, castle is where she had a mentor named Z- Zazimos. Uh, who was a great wizard who died riding a dragon in to stop a volcanic eruption. And Zan finds some information that helps her cast a spell on Luna. So in in the rubble, she's able to find some stuff that helps her to cast a spell on Luna that is going to lock away her magical powers. And Luna will not have any magic until she turns 13. In fact, she will not even be able to hear or read the word magic. Like she just goes into a trance when anyone mentions magic around her. Uh, But at the age of 13, her magic will be released. And Zan knows she's going to absorb all of Zan's magic. And Zan will finally pass away after 500 years when Luna turns 13. Um, in the protectorate, there is the mad woman in the tower who won't forget her daughter who was taken from her. This is Luna's mother. Um, and this woman doesn't think she's mad, but the sisters of the star treat her like she's mad. So she worries that she might be. Um, and as she's been locked away in this tower, she has unleashed her own magic powers. And Antane visits the leader of the sisters of the star, who is a woman named Sister Ignatia. And she gives Antane permission to go visit the mad woman. And one of the woman's powers is clearly the ability to create paper because no one gives her paper and her cell is always full of paper. <laughs> on which she draws maps and writes she is here uh and she uses the paper which is folded as birds to attack antane when he comes in because she recognizes him as someone who was there the day her baby was taken from her and his face is horribly scarred by these deep paper cuts that he he receives uh the mad woman calls sister ignatia the sorrow eater and says she's a witch who feeds on the spare of others so a girl who had worked for the sisters is and her name is uh 
Athene, I think is how it's pronounced. It's E-T-H-Y-N-E. And I think it, the audiobook said Athene. And she quits the order, which is a very rare occurrence. No, none of the girls who go to work for the Sister of the Stars ever leave, but she does. And at this point, Antane has left the elders, which is also a very rare thing, because these are how you get cushy jobs in the upper class. <laughs> Otherwise, you are, like, there's only two classes of people here. You're, you're with the Sisters and the Elders, or you're a uh, street rabble, basically. Pretty much. Um, however, Antane has left and he has the skill as a carpenter and he becomes very successful and actually becomes famous outside of the protectorate because there are some tradesmen who come and go from the protectorate uh, to these other cities and his works get taken everywhere and uh, are recognized for their quality. And Athene and Antane, they had crushes on each other when they were in school together as young children, though neither of them acknowledged it or ever spoke to each other. But once she quits the sisters and he has quit the elders, they have a very quick courtship, get married, and um, they she becomes pregnant. And the dates, he, like he looks around the city, he's like, oh no, because <laughs> their firstborn is clearly going to be the youngest baby uh, when the next day of sacrifice comes along. So Antane goes to the elders and he asks for permission to go hunt the witch. Now, we need to point out, the elders don't think there's actually a witch there. They think they just go leave a baby and the baby dies, uh, taken by wild animals every year. Uh, however, they don't want Antane to go hunting through the forest and declare, there's no witch out here, guys. Uh, but they don't see another way out of this because he's very adamant. So they say, okay, you can go do that. Uh, but then they go tell Sister Ignatia what he's doing so that she will go kill him and blame, and they can blame the witch. They can say the, the witch that they don't think actually exists killed Antane in the woods. So at this point, this is where I'm going to speed some things up because a lot of moving pieces are going to converge in the woods in this next chunk of story. So Zan knows that she's going to die soon because Luna's powers are going to be released. But... She also knows those idiots in the protectorate are going to go leave the baby <laughs> and I got to go save the baby. So <laughs> she transforms into a bird, but her powers are waning as Luna's are awakening uh, and her powers being taken from her. And she can't figure out how to transform back from a bird. And Luna is regaining her magical powers and she figures out what Zan did to her. Uh, like all her memories unlock about the word magic. And she realizes what was done to her when she was five. And so she goes looking for Zan. Now, Antane is hunting the witch in the woods. Sister Ignatia is hunting for Antane in the woods. And the madwoman in the tower escapes after Sister Ignatia leaves, and she goes looking for her daughter, Luna. Glurk and Firion were left alone, and they realize, uh-oh, this is Luna's birthday, and Zan might not be able to do what she thinks she's going to do because her powers are going to be fading. So they go looking for Zan and Luna. And... <laughs> These the, All these groups are going to converge in the woods. I'm just going to say there's the classic moment, if you've ever read comic books or seen superhero movies, where like the good guys meet, but they're not sure who's the good guy, and they fight briefly, and then they all realize, oh, that's the bad guy over there. And they realize that Sister Ignatia is really the big bad. Like, she is the evil that they all need to be fighting, not one another. Um, and the, she has been alive for 500 years, just like Zan, and she has kept the protectorate trapped in a web of despair, which she feeds off of. Um, however, by focusing on hope in each other and also in their own futures, they give Sister Ignatia nothing to feed on, and Luna, with her growing magical powers, is able to defeat her. Oh, and about this time, a volcano begins to erupt. 
there's also that. <laughs> um, there's a lot going on. Yes. Yeah, so so now they've defeated Sister Ignatia by feeding her hope instead of despair. And uh, then they all return to the Protector and Luna and Furion. They're, they're, they're all able to use their magic enough to protect the Protectorate from the volcanic eruption. Even though the forest is decimated by this and there's damage all around, the Protectorate itself is protected. Um, and uh, after this happens and now that the Sisters of the Star and the Elders are going to be removed from power, these magical clouds of despair that had weighed upon everyone in this city, they go away and everyone starts to get more hopeful and happy um, and the whole city becomes rejuvenated and Athene helps to teach the people the truth and she makes all the books that the Sisters had locked away accessible to the people. So besides magically keeping the people in despair they'd also deliberately kept them ignorant uh and fed them lies to be able to allow this charade to be carried on and now that's all going to be done away with uh the elders and sisters are removed from power luna becomes a helpful witch who is loved by the people and the city becomes connected to the wider world around it and when zan dies uh her old friend glurk comes and takes her body to the bog but he promises luna that he will return one day the end that was a good that was a good summary there. There's a lot that happens in that last bit with like several different points of view that I think it would be harder or it'd be hard to do it any better than you did. Yeah, it would be like, okay, one sentence, Antine does this, and now Zan does this, and now, because <laughs> it starts jumping from chapter to chapter with different points of view. Because the chapters get like um, shorter and they're just mm-hmm. like bam, bam, Which bam, is- bam, bam, of just back and forth. Which, from like a formalistic technique, is a great way to increase tension and a sense of narrative oh, yeah. momentum to keep shortening those uh, and jumping back and forth in a way that uh, the reader never feels disoriented or lost about what's happening. Like uh, no. she, she does a wonderful job of like grounding us, and and we always know exactly what each character's motivation is, and even like the geographical location of one another. Like all of that works really well, but that right. shortening of these chapters as we're building to the climax, like you feel. Um, like the story is rolling down a hill and getting faster and faster and faster as it's going. And and it, then it just, you know, it, it all collides and it's it's great. It's fantastic. It makes sense, too, because it's like all these things are happening. The different characters are happening at the same time, just in different spots. And you feel that because of how short each chapter is. It's like you just are checking yeah. in with each person as they get closer to each other. And like I said, it builds that tension of like, when are they going to like, you know, converge well, like even an example. So we said, I, I said, Zan turns into a bird. She actually, uh, Antane, uh, sees movement on the edge of his purple vision and he throws a rock and he, he wounds a bird and he feels so guilty because he's never hurt a living thing in his life. And so he's like carrying the bird in his pocket and talking about how, uh, you know, he's telling the bird what he's doing. He's like, I, I just need to go catch the witch that steals her babies. And then it cuts to Zan. He's like, Oh, I've never thought about this from their point of view. They think I'm the bad guy. And then it comes back to Ante yeah. talking, <laughs> talking about this. She's like, I, he, he's like, I can't let her take my baby. And she's like, I've been saving these babies, haven't I? Like, why did you guys leave them? Like, just the two totally different, like, perspectives of, like, what was happening there. Yeah. Um, it's, it's fantastic. So there's a, there's a couple of things I loved about this. Like, for me, one of the high points is... Uh, you do get these chapters from all these different character points of view and they all work and function as their own pieces. Like I'm satisfied with each chapter that I got like, okay, I learned some about the character and it advanced the narrative, but then when everything snaps together at the end and you see all these puzzle pieces that we've been given are actually telling this one large story, it's really satisfying, right. uh, you know, as a reader. 
like you you know that there's connection here but you're like okay there like I said there's Antan, there's Zant, there's all these people and you're like they're, they're they're obviously connected but where is this going and the closer you get to it the more you get that it just it works so well like it just it was great writing like i was just so impressed by it and um like each character does feel like they're their own being right and they all yeah. they all have a reason for what they're doing they're not like necessary I, I mean they're not like pawns that are being moved by the author to create story it's like there's a reason antane is going into the woods right now uh on this day and there's a reason zan is rushing over there on this day <laughs> you know um they, they all have the right motivations right. individually uh to come into this this central conflict that's gonna uh be the climax of the story none of the characters feel like i hesitate to use the word psychic but like just almost like I said pawn for luna like luna is obviously kind of like the main character but also kind of not because she gets just as much time in the book as, as these other characters do and i think they each are just as important and they exist together but they don't exist just for the other characters i don't know if that yeah, makes sense it's very much an ensemble um and a successful one where like there's no like sometimes with ensembles it's like well they're there but yeah, right you know what are they adding and and almost the one that i feel like the most about like what is she adding is the title character of luna because she spends so much of the book being locked away from what her destiny is like she's being denied and she's so young for a lot of the Mm -hmm. book like she's yeah really young for a good chunk of it and she's sort of talked to like we don't even get her point of view for like a very long time until i think she's like 11 or 12 and then when she's starting to kind of get older and feel her power slowly coming back that we finally even get to be in her head so mm-hmm. it's 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 interesting because we get everybody else's first yeah and i don't think that's like a cop-out at all like it's, i think it's probably fine that the five-year-old i don't need to spend a whole lot of right. you know, time it works because <laughs> and... everybody is telling her story even like you know the mad woman her mother or even antane they all had a piece in that so it's they're still telling her story without having to be in her head yes and there's a reason why that that's the reason she's the title character like this is at the core uh she's the unifying figure of of the story right um she's what's going to bring these people uh all together and she's the one that's going to end sister ignatia like the the big bad is defeated by by her more than you know than than everyone else um and and so there's like the growth but it almost feels like this I, I don't know that there's any plans, but this feels like the opening chapter of her life story. And it's kind of like, okay, now we really know her and what is, right. what is she going to be? Um, which is a fine, like, but I'm not begging for a sequel. This works as a self-contained piece. Uh, right. But for, for all the it characters, she's It definitely leaves one... this, like, what is she possible? Like, what is, what is possible for her after this? Like, now she's come into her own, you know? Right. Whereas, like, Antain went on his journey and, you know. Yeah uh changed his his hometown and um and and zan like obviously like she passes away at the end but she was like the mentor that was bringing up the young the young hope you know the the young power that was going to replace her right um and, and so luna this feels more like an opening chapter whereas for several of the other characters like this was their story right so I guess we're we're saying several of those characters like stand on their own and have their fully fleshed storylines uh wh- which ones are your favorites of these characters <sighs> Every character is so good. Like even, um, I'm blanking out, but the little dragon. Why can't I think of his name right? Uh, Therian is that? Yes. Let's see. I mean, he doesn't have like a huge storyline like on his own. Like there is this 
you know, idea in his head that he thinks he's enormous. So then everybody around him is like even bigger than him. And then he comes into that and then actually becomes enormous, which made me laugh beyond belief when I was reading it. But like, even like his story is so small, but it was it was so fleshed out and it was so there. I, he was so funny. He was the best. I love I loved that character so much. Okay, so I, I in in that rush through the final climax, um, we do find out that Sister Ignatia, five hundred years old, she was causing the volcano to erupt, which caused Zazimos and Furion's mother to ride into the volcano to stop it. He had to use his magic and she had to use her dragon powers to stop this volcano from erupting, and so he realizes that Sister Ignatia stole his mother from him, basically. Uh, and he, as he's realizing this, he is growing to that full size that he, he always thought he was a giant and he becomes a giant. And so in, in the final climax, there is now an actual giant dragon that's involved as well. And the, the writing, like the buildup of him growing, like I can picture it so much in my head because he doesn't just like explode into an enormous dragon. Like it's like his feet get big and then his nose gets big. Like I can picture that so well. And, and, it was and one me eyeball laugh. bulges out and the other one's still the regular right. size. <laughs> like I was laughing. I'm like, I can fully picture this and i'm picturing him like getting large because he's riding on like glurk's back at this point and glurk just being like whoa whoa it's not the weight i'm used to <laughs> uh glurk was one of my favorites so i like that we're choosing like the funny sidekick animal sidekick characters right <laughs> uh i can't remember how many arms and legs but he he's just a bog monster like this big green kind of slimy bog monster but he's constantly quoting the poet who we kind of start to think He's the poet. Right. He's quoting himself. <laughs> He's like, the poet says, and he says something kind of profound, but also kind of like, does that make any sense? I don't know. I can't, I can't decide right. where I land <laughs> on what the poet says. Uh, and then as the story progresses, we realize like, oh, he's old. Like he's as old as the earth. He's as old as the bog. Uh, like he is the bog. He's not just a bog monster. He is the bog. And, and like he says, he's older than magic. And, and then eventually like he's quoting himself. He's like Benjamin Franklin <laughs> over here. <laughs> It's like, who said that, Glurk? And he's like, I did. I was like, okay. <laughs> the, the poet, poet says. says. But he's, yeah. every character is just, is so strong. And they have their own story. And like I said, that come together at the end. It's just, it works so well. Well, like even the villains. So uh, the, I can't not remember the name of the head of the elders, but uh, Antane is his nephew, and he's not just the mustache twirling villain who is trying to protect his own powers. Like he really wants to take care of Antane because he feels bad that his brother died and left, or or I guess it, maybe it's, his, it's uh, brother his brother-in-law in -law, yeah. died. It's his sister, I think. I think it's Antane's mom. Yeah, so his brother-in-law died, and he really did like his brother-in-law. Like they were they were actually buds, and he wants to take care of his nephew, but his nephew just won't follow the rules and realize that God, there's no witch out there. We're just sending these babies out to preserve our power like antane's got a little too good of a heart for what he wants to do but he still really wants to protect him right. you know and like just that little hint of humanity makes him a more interesting character you know that even like when they take the babies out like he's not just like i don't know like even the way he's like when like a baby like pees on him or like you know is a baby and he's just like uh these disgusting little things. I, I don't know. There's something about it that like, it doesn't make him like more evil to me. It just makes him like more human, you know, like, cause he stays straight faced and he's taking the baby to the woods and the babies are like peeing on him and pooping on him. And he's just like, 
no, stay straight. Like I got this. I'm yeah. This is my I, day. Professional. Uh, you know, yeah. when I'm in front of the people, this is my day to walk through the pr- procession, and everyone lines the right. streets and sees me. I can't acknowledge the warm spot on my chest. Right. right. It it is funny. Like I said, it makes him to me more human. Let's just like he's just doing what he has to, you know, what he has to do, and I don't know. It's just funny. Well, and then also like Sister Ignatia, when we first meet her it's kind of like is she gonna be a nice one quit very quickly you realize no, no. <laughs> but like she also kind of is is like nice to antane and she has her favorites of the pupils that come through her order and um and uh you know like we get these glimpses of uh you know the non-evil side of her before we realize she is the big bad even more, like i think at first we all assume oh it's the elders they're the ones causing all the trouble right and then you realize like this whole system has been built up and is propped up solely by sister ignatia and and the elders are her her tools they're, like she they're the public face of the manipulation because she wants to just be in the background feeding on everyone's sorrow right which i love a good like female villain we don't get those as as often and i think they did a good job with that because they really do like make it seem like the elders are the bad guys and you do get that that she cared about Antane and she didn't you know she was fond of him over the other boys that worked with her and and that sort of thing and um you know she took in Luna's mother when she went mad after losing her kid because she was taking care of her and it's like you you you've totally are there and then it doesn't take long for you to go like wait a second <laughs> there's something a little wrong about this well I think it gets set up at the beginning because it's Antane's point of view and he's being taken along with the elders and they go to take the baby. And then when the mad woman is, as all we're told of her name, we find out her name at the very end of the story. Like Luna goes and researches it to find out her name, but it had to been find it out. Forgotten. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but when she's up in the rafters holding her child and trying to stop the elders from getting her, it's like, okay, call the sisters. So it feels like the elders are ordering the sisters to come right. onto the scene. Right. You know, like right. they're, uh the elders are the head and the sisters are the hands you know of of this this organization um and it's not i can't remember at which point it is in the book that you start to see the turn uh but it, but also like the, the what do they call her like the eater of sorrows or uh the yeah the sorrow oh, eater i think the sorrow eater yeah, yeah. oh like that's a great name <laughs> for our label and it uh, does, it like takes a while for you to like for me it was like i was like Okay, you know, because you're getting, I think the first person that says it is Luna's mother who says that. And that's mm-hmm. when it the kind of starts. Woman, to, I think. Yeah. yeah. And at that point, you're like, she's mad with grief, her child, she lost her. And, and you, you're you just like, of course, she's a sorrow eater. She took your child. And it's not like it, like, slowly, you're like, wait a second. She's actually, like, surviving off of sorrow. And that's why this town is so miserable. Like they keep it that yeah, way. At on first, purpose. you uh, at first you kind of think, is she just feeding on the mad woman's sorrow? Like, is that why she kept her here? Right. And then you're like, oh, she's feeding on everyone. She's feeding on everybody. <laughs> like this just... whole operation, because you learn that, like, she knows that there's no witch. Like, they create all of this to keep the people in line and to keep the people sad, because they know there's going to be a child sacrificed every year, and it could potentially be theirs. And like the the whole system is created just so she can feed, basically. Yeah, and, and one thing that I think the book does really successfully is while you have this supernatural villain uh, in Sister Ignatia, the Sorrow Eater, and you have like all this 
corrupt you know this corruption that has this fantastical base one of the major themes that comes through is that knowledge is the best magic guys and like truth truth is what we need <laughs> um and that's what's going to cut through all the fan fantasy evil that's going on here it's just yeah because they don't they don't fight her they don't attack her they don't do any of that they just are like this is why you're like this and they like break her down that way by giving her the truth of of what she's been you know like suppressing for so many years and that's how they like defeat her they don't like i said they don't use magic to attack her or any of that yeah when i say she was defeated it was really by feeding her hope and um and also her own true nature but then like athene who is over in the protectorate her role becomes like releasing all the books that the sisters had kept locked up because the one way they kept the town in despair was by keeping them ignorant um and so releasing knowledge into the community is going to be one of the things that frees the people um and so i just like that there's this uh you know this great analog of of uh you know the the fantasy elements but then the like the core idea is hey guys hope and truth is a really good thing (laughs) let's let's embrace those and because even like once even before they're defeated even before uh like she leaves the town to go kill Antane or any of that. There's already hope in the town, like because she started like telling people, everybody, "Hey, like there's more to this than you know." And they're all so frustrated because you can tell, like the clouds are starting to go away, and like there's just like a slow change of they're learning what's actually going on, and things are getting better. Yeah, and um, another thing that I thought was. The, the phrasing, I, I actually went and found the exact quote because I loved how this was said. Because they they realize as the truth is coming out that there's some awkward truths that need to be dealt with in terms of the, the star children. Um, you know, these children that were taken right. and uh, the families thought they'd been sacrificed, but now they realize, oh, we've got kids out there. And because this has been happening for generations, a lot of people are like, I have... I have grandchildren. Like, I don't just have a child that's out there. I have grandchildren that are out there. And, right. And how is this all going to go? And they, and like this, they deal with like the, the kind of uncomfortable meeting. And um, Luna, I think it is the one who says it. She says, Zan was my mother. Now I know. And I can't remember the mad woman in the towers real name, but she said, this is my mother now. And I know this now. And, and I want you townspeople to all understand the quote is my love isn't divided. She said it is multiplied. Uh, and so for all right. of you who thought you had lost a child and for those children who thought they, you know, didn't know their original family, it, it's not that you have to split your loyalties between the families that adopted you and your, your own families. Like you, you now, like your family has grown and it's going to multiply uh, in this moment. Right. Yeah. I thought that was, that was great. Cause I think she says that to her mother mm-hmm. when she goes to be with Zan as she's, as she's dying and she's like, I, I'm not split between the two of you. Now I have both of you. Yes. And uh, that's like just that phrasing. My love isn't divided. It is multiplied. That's the kind of like the, the poetry within the dialogue and the poetry within the, uh, right. the, the prose of uh, the, the girl who drank the moon that, um, that you're that is there like those, those little nuggets are there throughout so i think kelly barnhill does a really good job with some of those turns of phrase that are going to stick with you as a reader yeah when i i finished like i said i finished it last night and i kind of just got on the couch decided to read it and kind of told my boyfriend and roommate like don't talk to me don't interrupt me i have to finish this 
And when I finished, I kind of, I read it on my phone. I just kind of put my phone down and sat there. My boyfriend's like, how was it? And I was like, like, I can't right now, like I'm still processing. But the first word that comes to mind was this was just such a beautiful book. Like, just the language of it was just so beautiful. Yeah. Like, okay, so I've got the Goodreads quote because I went to find that exact quote. And so I've got the Goodreads quote page up. And so like, there's another one where I said like, one of the major themes of this is like the power of truth and knowledge uh, to overcome evil in the world. But then another quote in here is, not all knowledge comes from the mind, your body, your heart, your intuition, sometimes memories even have minds of their own. And and so like, it's like not just intellectual knowledge that I think the, the book is citing as, as important but like all these other ways of, of things we know you know like uh this is all that all has value it it it's kind of the reason a lot of the, the stuff that happens towards the end of the book gets in motion it's it's uh luna's mother's memory of her and luna's memories that have been locked up and are now coming out like that's like not knowledge that they just like they learned that was what they had the whole time and now it's bringing them together you know they both are moving towards each other um okay uh, i did also want to touch on antane uh he's one of the interesting characters to me um i like that his like like he has this quest that he ends up going on um but it's not out of revenge it's not out of hatred it's just like his motivation is love, but he 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 also dreads like having to hurt the witch. <laughs> like at the same time, he's like, I gotta go kill the witch. Right. I don't want to, but it's for my wife and child, and so I have. He's to. like, I've never uh, like hurt anything before, but I have to, and it, like he's so like hesitant about it, but he like yes. knows he has to do it. And he's kind of in the role of our classic, like what you'd expect to be the swashbuckling hero, like the sword fighter. Right. Like his role in the story is often like the glib, sarcastic, hyper-competent man. Uh, Right. You know, in a lot of uh, stories, you know, the the warrior that just come in, can come in and do everything and is going to crack jokes as he's doing it. And instead we get the very shy uh, guy who just really would like to be in his woodshop more than anything. Right. Uh, But he's got this quest that he kind of has to do and he's very reluctant to do it. And he's going to talk to a bird the whole way um, about how much he'd rather be doing something else. And he's got these scars on his face, which makes him feel like he's kind of a social outcast. uh, And he's, he's very withdrawn. And so it's just, it was just very interesting to see, like, I know which role he's filling in, in fantasy story. Right. We get like the kid who's, who's trying to overthrow corruption. That's kind of what this is, but it's not at all what we actually get in this story. He kind of like he he's that character, but every time he makes a move in the right direction of what that character would would normally do, it's kind of just by like accident. And it's not something that he does like on purpose. It's, you know, he, he he's an elder in training but he doesn't want to be he doesn't like it so he leaves you know and he he kind of keeps himself but yet he still gets the girl like he everything you know he is going on this journey to kill the witch but only because of the love he has for his wife and child like not because he has this grand need to like save the town or anything like that you know from this and he he ends up 
literally feeding the witch to keep her alive. Right. Like, because he, he's wounded this bird. He keeps feeding the bird bugs. He's like, I know you need these bugs. I'm really sorry I hurt you. And this is the witch he's supposed to kill. Right. <laughs> right. And th- like you said, he talks to the bird this whole time, like, while he's kind of continuing this journey to go kill the witch. Like, he keeps talking about it. And it's kind of that, like, nervous rambling of, like, maybe if I keep talking about it, like, I can do this, you know? Like, he doesn't have the confidence to do it. So he just keeps going, like, I'm going to kill her. Like, that's what I'm, I'm going to do. I'm, I'm, I'm going to kill her. It's like, are you? <laughs> it's that, that, that like, yeah. nervous rambling because he's like, I don't even know if I can do this. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, there, and there's lots of successful fantasy stories where you have the young character who is being groomed to be part of the evil empire realizes it's corrupt and then has to like make the choice to turn and uh, overthrow it all right right <laughs> and and this is kind of what you feel like maybe in the opening chapter like oh this could be you know this could be that guy but instead he like he chooses to go become a quiet carpenter and then like when he starts yeah. to get fa- rich and famous from this he's like i don't want to be fa-. like he gets invited to go travel the world and kings are begging him to come to their kingdom so he can they can shower him with wealth so he will build them stuff he's like no if you place an order i will make it and we'll ship that to you that's fine that's all i want in this (laughs) it's like i have a wait list i'll get to it like you know he he, he's not searching for any of that everything that kind of comes to him is just except it's part of that like narrative of that hero but he never like consciously chooses all of it it just kind of happens to him yeah, I can't even remember. I can't remember what weapon it is, but I remember it's a really lame weapon he takes with him into the woods, and the elders are kind of like, he is not going to kill anything with that. <laughs> like, I don't remember. <laughs> like I everything- think even like, especially like, like one of the parts when he's talking to Zan as a bird, he's like, I don't even know where I am. Like he's completely lost. Like he's like, I don't even, I don't even know where I am at this point. <laughs> yeah, and and so that um, there's this constant subversion of what we expect to have happen it gets subverted but it still kind of happens like you said like he kind of accidentally keeps doing what we you know your paint by color fantasy story and like i'm not trying to knock those fantasy stories they're super successful and i love high fantasy and i love fantasy stories there's a lot about the genre that works really well and but the story does um a really fascinating job of embracing those beats but also giving us enough of a twist that it all feels new and different uh you know when we encounter these things like like furion and the bog monster that's not very far removed from a lot of uh funny talking animal characters in in animated films right you know we're not that far from there like those roles have been filled many times before and very successfully by a lot of great voice actors uh but there's still something that feels a bit special about this version of them and the way that are again our expectations are just being undercut just enough uh Antin, like there's a few moments in the book where he kept kind of reminding me of like almost like john snow in game of thrones like i did not ask for any of this like i went to go live at a wall like away from everybody like i wanted to avoid all of this stuff and i somehow keep getting pulled in and like i think that's kind of what it was was like I- I'm-, I'm good like i just my life over here is good and he still yet continues like you know that hero like path though and interestingly like the one that feels a little more agentive and action oriented and changing thing is his wife athene who is the one who um like quietly uh, we didn't spend a lot on it in the in the summary but it like kind of goes and takes down the order of the sister the sisters of the star like just 
opens up the doors. She's like, she has friends because she was being raised in there and groomed to be one of their, their number and she chose to leave. And so when Sister Ignatia leaves, she just marches back in and she's like, okay, where are the ones that are, no, this is kind of crappy, the system. All right, you, you, and you, we're going to go lock up the others. Let's go uh, tell the city what's going on once we lock them up. <laughs> we're going to go and lock it's like, up the loyalists. She's, she's... And... She's obviously known this for a while. Like, she knew that there were people in there that had those doubts, too. She, like, walked out. She had been kind of telling some of the townspeople, like, she didn't do it just because, like, okay, this is a moment that I have to do this because my husband is going to kill the, the witch or whatever. It was like, no, she's been kind of planning it for a while. Like I said, she kind of had more of the, like, consciousness to, like, change everything. Whereas Antane was just kind of mm-hmm. like well, I guess I have to go do this, you know? Yeah, and she immediately figures out, like, as, like, the, uh, one of the elders comes and visits her, and she's, like, through the course of the conversation, she just very quickly gets enough hints, she's like, okay, Sister Ignatia just went to kill my husband, right? And I was like, no! She's like, yeah, she did, and that's when she goes over to the, the, the place, and she's like, okay, all of you that knows this is a little wrong, let's go do what we have to do right now. And she kind of leads the rebellion from within those ranks. I like yeah, I liked her a lot. Like it's just like the character that you just didn't think was going to be important, and then suddenly, like I said, just walks in, opens the library, just like you know, helps clear the clouds. Like a lot of that was her, even before mm-hmm. you know Luna and everybody came to the town. Like it was starting to get better because of like her efforts. And like if if we do like ten years in the future sequel kind of thing, I could very much see a thing being the mayor of the town and Antane right. just gets to go to a shop every day and he's so happy there just carving <laughs> and making and she comes and talks to him about the problems she's dealing with and he offers some sage advice every now and then that's kind of like unexpectedly insightful into that world right. as he's just trying to put together his you know the next baby crib that he's he's someone has ordered from three towns over or something right. like that. <laughs> I said it's like you open with him and you're thinking that like and not that he's not but like that he's going to be this just like this huge pivotal person that's going to change everything and you know his future wife keeps getting mentioned but you don't think anything and then he marries her and she's gonna have a baby and he's got to save her and you're still kind of thinking of her as this like side character you know that just this is the reason that he's gonna you know walk away from his shop and go kill the witch and then if she's just like oh it's you know she's gonna kill my husband okay great this is what i'm gonna do and just completely changes all of that and and becomes her own character well it's not until that point that we get a chapter from her point of view like even right. uh, like the the story of her leaving, I think that's told to Antane by Sister Ignatia. And we're just kind of told that he went and found her and they courted and got married. Right. <laughs> like it, right. It, it, it's and like it happens very quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We don't see their courtship at all. Uh, it, it's just, oh, they're married. Okay. And then Antane, it, like it's talking about his, his wife is going to have the baby and that's going to be the one that has to be sacrificed. And this is all from his point of view. And it's when he goes into the woods that we get a story, a chapter from her point of view, which is, right. it was very, um, like just as a reader, like you kind of get into the rhythm of, okay, chapter A, chapter B, chapter C, chapter D. Now back to chapter A, chapter, like for the characters, like we're just going to get these points of views. Right. And it's fairly late that we're getting a new point of view introduced to us. Um, and it could have been introduced before, but I don't mind that it's this late in the game. Like, oh, this character that could have been a side character is now going to become a a very identical core character that's going to change the course of the narrative that's fine and i think that's like the strength in her not having a point of view like before that is that you do just think she's just that 
side character that exists for Antane's motivation to like leave the town and go find the witch but like she's so much more than that and it's a pleasant surprise to get into her point of view and go like wow she's kind of awesome like she's been spearheading a lot of this you know like she's not sitting at home with her baby you know waiting for her husband to go kill the witch and come back like she's got her own thing happening right now like she's got her own plans and by this point like we like Antane because we've seen him enough that as readers were attached and so it's it's nice to see oh oh, she's not just a pretty face like they are actually a very good match like they are filling right uh voids that the other one has (laughs) you know like like she's she has uh strengths that he lacks um as a character that we've like we still love him as a character but we know he's not really the leader type and we see pretty quickly oh she's a leader okay great i see how these two fit together right Right. Like I said, it's not just, it's just not, not just the girl that he, you know, he didn't just get the girl. Like he got this person that, that stands on her own and has her own plans and has her own strengths and stuff. And I liked that a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, last character I think we should talk about, Zan. We haven't really said a whole lot about her. What are your thoughts about the witch Oh yeah, and she's a the huge witch character. Like you, like you said earlier, the, the moment where, you know, they, they leave the baby on all of that. And then Zan's first chapter opens and she's like, I don't understand this town. Every year I have to come and rescue one of these babies. Like immediately it was just like, I'm sold. Like I'm in because there's a total different thing here, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah, because we're told it's the witch and you expect an evil witch. Like that's that's what we're going to get. Like, that's exactly uh... what you expect. <laughs> <laughs> and, and even when it's like, okay, she's not evil, she's nice. It's that exasperation of like, oh, these idiots. <laughs> Why do they do this to me every year? And that's like, there's just something so charming about that where it's like, okay, but I'm going to do what I got to do. And also then when that like kind of books that bookends the story, when, when she's the bird and Antine's caring her and she's like, you know, I really should have thought a little bit more about why they're actually doing this instead of just like fixing the problem. I should just, what is the root of this issue? Like, why are like, they doing what, this Yeah, me? what's happening there? Can I, especially like I said, she's a witch. So she's, she's not like, you know unlimited she can't do everything but i mean she she one of her big think qualities is that she helps people she's constantly going to those cities where she takes the star children and helping them and helping those who are sick or pregnant she's whoever and i think yeah. yeah so i think that's that moment where she just has always assumed that this town is stupid and just leaves babies and she just fixes the problem and puts them in good homes but she never stops to think could i have like actually gone in there and helped them but you know, there was that vibe of, of, of just like miserable, you know, coming from the town. And then she's like, I don't want to go near it. So yeah, it was off putting. She is. So we understand why, but I also like that. Um, this thing that is, so, is a bit charming at the beginning becomes a source of guilt for her at the end. Um, right. That, you know, and as readers, we're kind of like, you know, if anyone had asked a few more questions, this whole thing could have come tumbling down a hundred years ago. <laughs> Especially like I said, it's like, as you get this whole chapter with with Luna's mother just going, you know, like hanging in the rafters, not wanting to give up her child. Like it's a whole dramatic, you know, chapter of this baby being left in the woods and Tana's, you know, pretty young child being like, why do we have to do this and stuff? And then you immediately open with Zan being like, here I go again, rescuing another baby. And it's like, okay, there's some miscommunication here because where are they getting this idea that there's a witch out there that like demands their children? Like, People are asking their questions here. Yeah, I mean, and then we get to the theme at the end. It's like knowledge is actually what's going to free these people. Hope and knowledge. Uh, and so right. the, the flaw at the beginning is 
this lack of seeking knowledge and that flaw does actually circle back to some of the characters we like not just the evil characters that were uh trying to, right. to manipulate everyone that was around them there's good characters that we're fond of who could have done more and probably should have actually yeah, it's it's the it's the people in the town that I mean, granted, they were, you know, being kind of pushed down by the elders and the sisters and that sort of thing. But like no one oh, ever stopped like, to really manipulated. <laughs> right. Right. Like, they, like there's there's not enough, maybe no questions in there that were like, has anyone ever seen a witch? They just accepted as truth. And because they were never given any anything else to question it, it was just like, well, they said it. They know everything. So it must be true. And Zan not being like you know, why is this town doing this every year? Like, what is the purpose of this, you know? Yeah. And um, one thing that I think is actually interesting is in this, in the novel, we see stories being used both to manipulate and, and cause people to cower, right? But we also see stories as like the source of that truth that, again, we say is, is like one of the key things. So stories are kind of neutral tools and people can use them to their own ends, right? And right. Uh, so, like, a lot of Zan's teaching to to Luna is going to come through story, and uh, the people in the other towns have these positive stories about Zan that make them trust her, right? Uh, and and uh, the uh, oh, uh, what, what's the bog monster's name again? Oh, I've suddenly forgotten it. It's such a great name. Was it Blork? Glurk? Ah, Glurk. There it is. Yeah, like he he is nothing but story, <laughs> right? You know, he's just always telling right. stories that have hidden layers of meaning throughout them. And so story is great in their hands, but then we also find out the elders and Sister Ignatia have been using story to, to basically enslave this city to their will um, through right. this. Um, and so they, I, I just think it's fascinating the some of the dualities that were being given uh, in the story. It's, it's, it's Luna's world stories are, are exist to tell the truth. And in the town, it's stories are told to, to keep the truth from coming out, you know, because these townspeople, they have no access to any knowledge whatsoever. So they believe the stories that the elders and the sisters tell them. And it keeps them, like you said, basically enslaved for years. Well, and even there's, there are like, a lot of those stories are rooted in truth. Um, so some of the chapters that we get occasionally are just like uh, folklore where someone's saying, well, like we know the, this story about the volcano from years ago. Like this is generations right. ago. This happened with the volcano. And then we find out a lot of that did happen with the volcano, but it's just twisted enough to keep the townspeople cowering and in fear. And right. even, even like the witch, like they're being that lied to that there's a witch in the woods as far as the elders know it turns out there really is a witch in the woods right so like there's truth they didn't even know so uh, so a lot of their folklore is actually rooted in truth it's just been turned by the people who are in power and want to retain their power through fear and sorrow uh from those that are beneath them uh that you know that but that core truth is that what i think makes the stories actually more more powerful to the people because they can you know they, they there's some evidence for what they've been told uh, they just haven't investigated enough to see all of the evidence. Right. I said when you when you really like take a look at the story, a lot of of what causes change and what makes the story move forward is the stories and and learning the truth and telling all all of that. There's very little like magic, you know, that really is used. Like I said, even when towards the end, it, it's it's a lot of just words. You know, like the words are well, the magic. Yeah, the discovering book. Sister Ignatia's real story, right? right? Discovering the truth of 
uh, like that she has sorrow. Like I said, like she had sorrow that she compressed so much inside of her that it became like a dark pearl at the center of her being. And she fed it on the sorrows of others so that she didn't have to acknowledge that it was there. Like it became a black hole of sorrow inside of her that she had to keep feeding with the sorrows of all the townspeople and, you know, the mad women, you know, the mad people that she locked in the tower. Like she had to keep feeding that black hole of sorrow that's inside of herself. But discovering that true core essence of her is what kind of breaks her powers. Right. And I said it wasn't, it wasn't magic. It wasn't a fight. It wasn't any of that. It was just them, you know, bringing that truth out that, that really, you know, brought her down or, or whatnot. And it's, it's, yeah, there's this like stories and truth is a real big core of, of, of the whole novel. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, we're, we're at the end, uh, largely of our conversation, but I feel like there's a lot more here guys. <laughs> so listeners, uh, there's, yeah. <laughs> there's just so many characters and there's so many things that intersect and it's just it's written so well i mean even just like uh the dragon finding out the, the true story of what happened to his mother and what's been going on like that changes hit like it's just there's everybody goes through some little bit of that and it's done so well like i can't yeah. like stress enough how great this book was I think we're just like, even like our discussion of the themes, we're really just barely like picking up a few threads and there's a lot more threads yeah. in this tapestry. Uh, and, and a lot more, like you said, interconnections that we'd find if we were able to trace these just back a little bit further. I think this is the kind of book that would very much reward rereading and thinking more deeply about some of the ideas yeah. that are being presented. Like going chapter by chapter. <laughs> mm -hmm. Or uh, just, yeah, you know, character, for, like, character by character. Development, but, uh, uh, yeah, character, narrative, and theme. Like, what is being added as as we move through from one chapter to the next? I think there's, there's right. so much here in this one. There's Every chapter feels important. Whereas, uh, you know, and not to say that any book is better or worse, but you read some books and there's some chapters that are just filler. And as a writer, even I know that. Like, there's just chapters that just need to move the plot along. But this book never feels like that. Like, every chapter, there's a character that's moving in some sort of direction. Yeah. And those chapters work by themselves, but then again, you get like you step back and you see the full mosaic of all these storylines that you've been reading about, right? Uh, and you see the full picture, and it's like that was just really satisfying the way it all came together. Um, so, so well done. Uh, what was her first name? I want to get the author's real name. Uh, Kelly Kelly Barnhill. So well done, Kelly Barnhill. I was like, um, I was gonna say Karen, and I was like, I'm pretty sure that's wrong. Yes, I, I do. I, I, yeah, I was like, that's a K sound. What? <laughs> which one? <laughs> So I was very impressed uh, coming to this book and, and uh, both reading it and listening to it. Uh, very well done. Do you have any final right. thoughts on The Girl Who Drank the Moon? I just, like I said, it, it was the same thing I said yesterday when I finished it. It's just truly, it was such a beautiful book. It was written so well. Um, I just kind of folded myself on the couch and didn't, and didn't move until I finished it. And I'm pretty sure I didn't even eat dinner last night because of how involved I was like in that book. It's every character is just so great. And it's it's one of those books that like I, I forgot completely that it wasn't even meant to be read, you know, meant to be read by someone my age, um, you know, that it's meant for children because it was just I think it doesn't matter what age you are, you can really enjoy this book. Yeah. Um, I, and I think there's great value in those books that are written really for the young audience. And that's the, the audience they're reaching. But I also really love when we find these stories that are um, all ages because they're just a good story. That's that's going to be a value to, to any age reader. Right. Right. I probably could go on and on forever about this book. It's so good, but we won't do that. <laughs> uh -huh. 
Well, that's going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, go to DuelingGenre.com. And also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice and leave us a review. That really helps us out. We'd like to thank Nick English, who designed our logo, and Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to go check out episode number 24, when we talked about The Princess Bride, or episode number 79, when we talked about the graphic novel Bone. Uh, you can reach us by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod or at jdorowski. And our producer, Andrew, is at dizminute. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. And Sarah, you have a blog on which you cover uh, YA novels. Yes, bit, I right? do. Yeah, I've been blogging for about seven and a half years now. And you can find me at um, whatanerdgirlsays.org. And the other good place to follow me is on Instagram. And that's whatanerdgirlsays as well. All right. Well, thank you again for joining us, Sarah. Of course. Thank you for downloading this episode, uh, listeners. And we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. Sorry. Andrew, you're going to edit. I, I apologize, Andrew. i got to say his name so that he really catches this because he's not here right now to make a mental note. To, uh, to like, make a note. Mm-hmm. But he, he edits at two times speed, which he does a great job. I have no complaints about that, but I know sometimes if I just say his name, that always gets caught. That he would have caught it, me yeah. coughing, too, I'm sure. Right now, he's probably like, I would have I would have edited out the cough automatically, Joe. You don't need to <laughs> <laughs> say anything. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat>